Hello and welcome to the Surplus Geek Podcast. I'm Jake and today I am joined by Graham from Captain Dreadnought on Instagram. Hello, that's me. So today I'm having someone on who doesn't collect U.S. military, which is fun because there's a bajillion of us who collect U.S. military. And uh, let's just get right into, I will just get into the basics. How did you get into collecting military? Because that's, I mean, everyone has their unique story. I've been collecting for maybe eight, nine years now. I mean, I've been doing it for a large majority of my life. Um, it all started with like American civil defense of all things. I always thought like the civil defense was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, so my dad, one Christmas, uh, he went on eBay because he loved eBay. He was a collector of a different community stuff. And he bought a world war two m1917 air raid warden with handbook and ever since i just i fell in love with helmets and i especially fell in love with uniforms and that's where i am interesting yeah um i mean it's kind of actually it's weird because it's a little bit similar for me in the sense that uh i my first items were my dad's service you know his his uniforms and his dress uniforms and stuff so uh, a little bit different, but stay, same kind of, you know, thing. Although I will say I, I've been into the military stuff since I was like three. So something's oh, wrong I've, with me. I've always loved military stuff. It's like my dad was always, he was never a collector of military per se, but he was always in the ships and stuff because his dad was in the Navy and his dad. So I grew up going on all sorts of U.S. Navy warship museums and stuff. Like I, I was a big ship nerd my entire life. Still am. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I like to take a John on over to Battleship Cove once in a while, but... Uh, oh, I love Battleship Cove. Yeah, Battleship <laughs> Cove, and then the USS Quincy up in... Uh, or no, Salem in Quincy, I should say. USS Salem in Quincy. I don't think it's in... It might not be in yeah. Quincy anymore, but... I have many ships I love, but nothing hits the same like the USS New Jersey and the USS Olympia. Those are two, my two favorite uh, in Pennsylvania. So, huh. well, one's in New Jersey, one's in Pennsylvania. Fair enough. Uh... I would say, though, uh, I didn't get a chance to go to it, but USS Missouri would be something that I would like to... Oh, that would just be amazing to stand in the footsteps of, like, the surrenders and all that stuff. That would be amazing. Yeah, we, I went to I went to Hawaii uh, for a trip, and unfortunately, we ran out of time to go to the USS Missouri. I went to the airfield, and we went through... They have all the aircraft from through years, you know. That was just oh, awesome. The Aviation Museum. Yeah. Uh, I want to go there. Oh, dude, it's worth it. It it's amazing. I got so much like three D three sixty uh like video of it and stuff, and just you know, was was Swamp Ghost there when you went? Yep. Yeah, I was oh, just gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, dude, that was a good site. Yeah, uh, I recommend that for anyone that can go to Hawaii. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I got lucky. It was a family trip, and I you know I got I it was just all <laughs> luck, but. You got to enjoy yourself. Normally when I'm traveling, my mom makes a way for like uh, us going to a museum. I mean, that's always the tradition of our family. Nice. So, all right. So, now we're, we're, all right. So why Scandinavian? We got to, we got we to gotta just jump right into the, the elephant in the room. Oh boy. This is a, a weird answer. I actually don't know why. Uh, and I have to explain why I don't know because it's just something I've collected many things, right? I started off civil defense. Then I started collecting like, uh, you know, there was a point I uh, most of my collecting, it was an interwar helmet collector. And then suddenly I picked up uh, a sweet, this uh, one of these and a Swedish M 59 uniform. And I just, I fell in love with it. And uh, 
I started, I was collecting in other communities at that point, but nothing truly felt as personal to me as just Scandinavian Militaria. And the second part of that would ultimately be the people I've met in the community. I mean, some of my best friends in my life right now are, you know, people I just met on Reddit, the Swedish collectors and Danish collectors who I met through other collectors. Um, I would say there's about, there's three major people I have to say, uh, influenced the mess of a collector now uh, of Scandinavian Militaria. I'd probably say my good friend Svanta, uh, who is younger than me, but he really uh, he was a younger Swedish collector, and he started showing me the ropes and stuff, and ultimately now we're, we're you know, two peas in a pod with the collecting thing. He was probably the biggest one. My friend Hampus, who uh, he was. He's now one of my major sorcerers of stuff because most of my stuff in my collection comes through uh, directly from Scandinavia or, in particular, Sweden because that's mostly where I buy from. Uh, and he sources stuff for me. He's a good friend of mine too. Uh, so, uh, and I have uh, a third person who is. Um, I don't know if I want, want to say his actual name, but uh, he goes by Military Collector on Instagram. Uh, and he's the one who really got me to buy my first item that I truly made me realize that's what I want to do is Scandinavian collecting, which is my M1886 uniform. And right. previously I had been collecting, but that was a big moment. That was the turning point. That's what like. That's know. when I realized I don't want to collect East German stuff anymore. I want to collect Scandinavian. Fair enough. I mean, I, I will say, I think it's, it's pretty cool. Cause, uh, I, as a as someone that's in the United States, it's not like I'm gonna. It's not you. You bring something to the table that no one, not not a lot of people do. You make a you, you give an opportunity for us to learn about something that we don't really get an opportunity to. So, and you know, uh, Scandinavia is a a bit too long of a drive away from the United States, so uh, it, it it brings a little bit of something closer to a place that's so far away. That is very it, true. No, oh, and I love every second of it. I mean. I'm always happy even for the most common of things and for the least common of things. Yeah, I know. And I, and I think it's important because, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who collect German stuff, plenty of people who collect American, British, Russian. You need someone who's going to collect. And, and, and it helps that you're an American collecting this stuff because you, you, you create a, 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 there's a gap there and you, you bridge that gap, you know, cause you know. I think I've met one other truly Scandinavian collector within the entire community based in the United States. I mean, I think I've met a few from, I've met two or three from within the United Kingdom and one from Ireland who is retired. But I mean, for the most part, all the entire community is mostly centralized within the region it's from. I mean, most Swedish collectors are from Sweden. Most Norwegian collectors are from Norway. Most Danish collectors are from Denmark. I mean, it's very rare you see it outsourced beyond that. Um, so, so would you say that you have one of the largest collections of, uh, at least in the United States? I that's I've I've said that before, and I don't know how to prove it because I mean, for all we know, there's that old guy Rick down yeah. the street from me who has. <laughs> everything i could have ever dreamed of but yeah, he's I got a garage that's just filled to the to the ceiling full of stuff and you're like what <laughs> oh, i have to burn his house down yeah. but um 
No, I, I jokes aside, I, I would say it's realistic I might be the largest Scandinavian collector within North America, to be honest. I mean, I don't know anyone else online on forums or anyone who, I mean, does mostly Scandinavian or completely who has the same amount. That's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. That's something to... It's it's a flex in itself. <laughs> yeah. I try I mean... and stay humble. Oh, yeah. That's, that's important, too. But, I mean, you know, that's... Like I said, I, I think it bridges the gap. I mean, uh... I don't remember when I exactly followed you, but I, I do remember following you because I think I saw you on the Explore page. I do remember. Uh, I remember everyone who follows me, but uh, kind of a problem. But uh, I remember it was quite a few months ago. I can't remember exactly when, but uh, it was after one of my first informational posts, I believe. It might have been one of my Swedish uh, M39. My first, actually, it might have been that. Yeah, I think first... that might have been what I saw, yeah. Yeah, no, my informational posts, which are primarily now what I do because that's what I love doing. Yeah, and they're good. I think that's I again, I I anyone that's not following you should go follow you. Um like, well, finish listening to the podcast, then go follow. But uh, Oh yeah. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you will be linked below. So that just, you know, <laughs> this is I'm so used to not used to you're... doing these, you know, video things, but Yeah, finish the podcast. You aren't allowed to follow me till after. <laughs> exactly we get to the the meat of the subject here but so yeah that's pretty cool i mean is there anything is uh i'm not i'm not gonna ask you if there's a holy grail because you don't want to well, say your holy grail but well within my collection uh do you I have mean, your holy grail? Me. oh it's this guy right here this is i'm I'm sorry swedes i'm about to slander the name but that is uh Jok, Jokim uh ackerman i'm sorry i'm gonna slander that uh general's uniform uh, it was tailored for him while he's a colonel in 1915 of Vasterland nope, Regiment, uh, if I recall correctly. And he, in 1919, was promoted to general in which this uniform was converted from the former uniform into the general's 1845. Um, there's only a very micro handful of these, to my knowledge, on the public market. The rest are in museums or were destroyed because time and you know, all that stuff. So that, that was that's definitely a holy grail piece in itself. Um do I have a piece recently though I, I got and which I'm very proud of, which I have to advertise. I would say my M ten Tricorner, which was the primary headwear of World War One for Sweden for the M ten uniform. Wow, a tricorner, that's interesting. I yeah, it was a to, to, to put it lightly, it was kind of like a piece of nationalistic propaganda basing back to the Carlean War, but that's a whole history in itself. That's pretty interesting, though. I, that's a an interesting choice too. A tri corner. I wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's got its uh, weird quirks, but uh, it's very cool. I'm making a post on it soon, so I look forward to that because I actually I like tri corner hats. I think they're pretty cool. Hey, who doesn't want to be a pirate? Exactly. Um, that's pretty cool, though. I'm glad that you got you got something that you considered. I you know I think most collectors have that holy grail where they you know. Got it out. Yeah, they want to get it, and I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've actually, oddly enough, since I first talked about a Holy Grail, I've actually kind of stepped away from having a Holy Grail. It's weird. I don't. Well, we gotta get you one of those soon. Well, I got my, <laughs> I got my, my toe tube that's behind or over there. I got that. That was something that I always wanted, and you know, I'm kind of gotten a lot of the masks that I want. So, I mean, other than maybe an XM40 gas mask, I'm pretty sure I oh. have. About yeah, I know it's that's that's the problem of collecting is yeah. you're like I achieved my goal now what, um, 
No, like I'm, I've done that with helmets, right? Like I, I've gotten all the Swedish helmets I can get, including two prototypes. I mean, I have those on the way. And like now I'm just like, well, I can't collect any more helmets. Now what? So now I'm collecting like I'm collecting more, all the uniforms. And now I'm almost done with that. So now I'm like, I have to collect something else. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Move on to. Well, I mean, you got you got I mean, I would assume you got bayonets, right? You got uh, web gear. That's true. I don't I have a few bayonets, but I don't have all of them. And obviously, I don't have all of everything, but, you know. <sighs> so that's, you know, that's something to think about and stuff. And then eventually, maybe, you know, I don't know about, uh, I don't know about surplus rifles. Is, is that? I, oh, yeah, I want to get into this because people always ask me, why don't you have rifles? Well, for starters, I, I don't really feel the need to have a rifle, uh, especially with Connecticut gun laws, which I'm from Connecticut in the United States. It's admittedly it's a hassle to get anything, so yeah. I, I'd rather not ha- go through the hassle. And secondly, I admit, uh, when you, I feel like there's way more to the history of a uniform than a rifle, right? Because although the purpose of a soldier is to kill, right? I myself like to uh, specialize more in the what they wear and what they were given and stuff. So to me, a rifle just isn't in the priority. It's yeah. not. I can, I, can understand, I can understand that. And it's funny because I'm in the same boat where, you know, uh, I if I'm going to use if I'm going to have do an impression or something like that or a kit, I'm going to use Airsoft because oh, I, I do in, the same. I live in Massachusetts, just above you. And gun laws <laughs> aren't exactly friendly here either, which is, I guess, OK. But um, so I don't want to go through the hassle either. And not only that, because I'm in a I, I live in a neighborhood. I like the idea of being able to have the gun like I don't have to worry about having a real gun in my hands i just have a oh, yeah that you that's know? a fair point if you're in a suburban neighborhood it just becomes this whole different ball game i've never yeah. thought of that yeah and not not that i'm not I, I know my weapon safety and stuff you know again i served in the military oh, yeah. but like it's just it's that extra level where i'm like you know it's a prop so i'm gonna use airsoft oh, yeah. or use a uh, denx replica or something like that but well the problem is with swedish military and scandinavian military i mostly do swedish collecting but i I dapple in everything else if you can't tell but uh the problem is none of the rifles used are like they make repros or airsofts of like a crag i I couldn't get a repro crag and i can't get a repro m45 capist and all that stuff so yeah i'm kind of stuck without a repro yeah that's the pro- yeah that's the issue with having a more narrowed uh something that has less attention drawn to it because you know like if it like if if you're picking the United States you know there's airsoft, airsoft guns for everything i mean oh absolutely yeah like you can get <laughs> everything almost it, it might not uh, always well, be the most correct but you know i mean here's the the second thing i always make a joke out of it too because on all my older photo shoot posts which i've now archived uh temporarily I, I used to make a joke that the so- soldier, quote unquote, in the photo has lost their rifle. But uh, I would also always make a joke about, uh, you know, oh, it's Sweden, so it's neutral, so they don't have rifles. It was, it was, it was a fun thing to play around with. I mean, I, I have my fun not having a gun. Would I want a gun? Maybe in the future, but like, I don't feel the need for one. Uh, it's not in my interest. It's also another expense, so it takes oh, away after- from. You can't buy something else if you're buying this. That's something that's I think people don't think about. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It would be it would sacrifice like anything I want for a little while. I mean, yeah, yeah. So and and yeah, if so, yeah, totally. 
that's totally fair. But uh, do you have a cap on? Uh, do you are you going to go into the modern era for Scandinavian military? Are you going to stop at a certain point or? Um, I do primarily 20th century Scandinavia, so I I actually tend to call 1899 to uh, 1999, so you got that 100-year gap. That being said, I do own some modern things. Uh, I own an M87 dress uniform overcoat, which is produced in 2002. Um, That's probably the newest thing in my collection. I I do have an... uh, a Royal Guards uh, boat cap, which is, they call them in Sweden, but side cap, um, all that stuff. It, it's the same stuff, garrison cap, uh, which was made, I believe, in 2009. So that that's my newest thing. Uh, that being said, I do have a uniform M90, which is the current uniform of the Swedish military until 2023. Uh, so uh, that's kind of my cap is I, I like to stop in 1999, but I'm not stopping myself from collecting it. Fair enough. Fair enough. That makes sense. Uh, they're replacing it in 2023. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's uniform uh, M23, which is ironically there's a second uniform, which is the my favorite uniform of all time in Sweden is the M23 1923. So hundred year gap between the two. Uh, no, M90 has been in use since 1989, so hmm. it's 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 about due for a change. Are they maintaining the same camouflage, or are they updating uh, that? Same exact, from what we know, same exact camouflage. They're just throwing the three crowns on random spots of the camo. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know how to feel about it, but I think it's going to be done around. It's on, actually, the Nordic... I'm going to get this wrong, so apologies to any of the uh, people who specialize in modern uniforms. It's called the Nordic Combat Uniform, both Den. Denmark, Norway, and Sweden uh, have all, and Finland, I believe, too, have all agreed to make this joint combat uniform, and but they're all going to print their own camos on them. Yeah, that's Which interesting. I, yeah, so like anyone, if someone in Finland receives the same uh, cut of parka as somebody within Denmark. Okay. I, I think it's a pretty good idea, but it's it's ultimately the idea is to have a similar looking uniform, which is cheaper to produce. Yeah, I can understand from the manufacturing standpoint. Although it's a little weird that like every yeah. nation's going to have their own camo, so it's like you don't well, really save that much. Imagine like an M eighty one, right? But with DPM on it, and then uh, French, like uh, what did they use? The M eighty one French, which is a bit different with the American M eighty one, right? Yeah, imagine yeah. It all being the same cut with different camos. It would be very weird. Gotta be careful making comparisons between French and American uh, woodland. People will lose their minds. Oh no! I know. Uh, the, I know French. I know French collectors love their French woodland. So I, I do too. So yeah, it is, um, actually, it is nice. Their desert's nice too. But oh uh, uh, yeah, uh, me and my friend were talking about the French Foreign Legion's uh, capis and the uh, M80, whatever their name is. Apologies uh, for their camo, and it looks so nice. The mix of the two. Yeah, it's um, it is actually pretty awesome. Yeah. No, um, Sweden use M- M90 uh, Geo. Um, like it's the name of the tunic is M90. The camo is called Geo Pat. Well, because by trillions of different names, it's officially called FOA pattern for the aircraft. It was originally on in the seventies. Hmm. Uh, the developmental agency that developed it is called the FOA or the. Uh, I have a sign on my wall which says what it's called. I can't remember off the top of my head. Like the scientific. Swedish Defense Institute and Developmental Agency. 
it, it's this whole thing. Um, so it's kind of like the Swedish do. version of Daic Labs, kind of almost. That, that's or yeah, no, that's basically it. Um, they're the ones behind like the controversial Swedish nuclear weapons and stuff of the Cold War. Didn't know there was a controversy with that, but I'm learning stuff. Yeah, right? they went. It, there's a whole history to that. They went behind uh, the UN's back to develop nuclear weapons and stuff. Wow. All right. Uh, <laughs> That's good. a lot to process. That's an interesting move there, Sweden, especially with the how they usually do things. But okay. Yeah. Uh, hey, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. But, I, um, I, I, yeah. Hey, I can't yeah, blame no. them. They want nukes. They want nukes. I mean, you know, we got nukes. Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to stop them? They're neutral. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I quite like uh, all that stuff. I myself am more of a fan of the M59, which is this tunic. Uh. It's the uniform used from 1958 to. There's no true deadlift for when it stopped. By 1999, it was fully out of service. So we're just going to say that. So it served a pretty good amount of time. Uh, I was going to say that's probably longer than any U.S. uniform ever served. Well, okay. Then there's the M3958, which is the iconic uh, tunic everyone knows, right? With that's the wool tunic with the breast pockets and the green collars and the butt pockets. You've seen them at surplus stores likely. Yep. Uh, those were in use uh, from 1957, uh, if my research is correct, because um, they're pretty early, to 2007. Wow. They were officially pulled from service in 2007. They weren't used, but... Um, and if you if you want to count the original M thirty nine conversion from nineteen thirty nine, you could say technically it's over sixty five years of service in one uniform. That's insane. Like I said, <laughs> U S uniforms go they come and go within ten years usually. I mean, I think uh, oh, yeah. M eighty one BDUs are probably the long, one of the longest serving that and OG one hundred sevens. But I'm I'm gonna make the assumption Sweden did it. Um, I mean, I have a whole, I've written a whole article for myself, basically, and my friends about why Sweden uh, chose to use uniforms for so long. And ultimately, it's the fact that it's a conscription-based country, right? Conscripts will screw up everything. It's the problem with conscripts is they know half those people don't want to be there, right? And so they're not, they're not going to treat your uniform with the most dignity. And that's okay, you know, it's it's obligated service. But that being said, Sweden struggled to make the perfect conscript-proof uniform, and that's what the M59 was, was that uniform meant to basically, uh, you can't screw it up. Somehow they screwed it up anyway in the 80s, but <laughs> it, took well, 20 you know. yeah. it took 20 years. That's how it works. That's fair, though. What is Sweden, like a two-year conscription or... Um... Something like that, maybe. I can't remember off the top of my head. I I believe it's six month, uh, six month, or if you don't want to serve because they usually recall. At least that back in the day used to recall you for refreshment, right? Oh, okay, for your yeah. retraining, and you would be either serve as like a backline later in life, right? Support troop. You would uh, if you didn't want to do that later in life, you just wanted to get all your service of your life over with. You would have served something like twelve months. Oh, okay. That's actually not that bad. That's, I yeah. mean, I'm pretty uh, sure one... we're like still at two year minimum here, but you know. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what the direct months is. I'll look it up after. Uh, but uh, no, it, it, there's a whole, it, it changed too from time to time. For example, in the 70s, there was huge reform. In the 60s, there was, 
uh, Swedish uh, military is a whole mess of information, and there's almost all of it's within Sweden. And so I, I'm one of the few people who tries to outsource that into English, uh, which I have a whole like research process and stuff. So my goal is ultimately to give all the info people need in English. Yeah, and like I said earlier, I think that's the important part because I think that barrier of not knowing what you're reading, like oh, absolutely, definitely prevents the average person from being like, oh, I'm gonna go learn this. I have like dozens of friends, right, who all help me translate if I need it. Right, I can read some Swedish. I'm not the most fluent in speaking it. Obviously, I'm terrible at it, but um, I can read what I need to. But ultimately, it's also Google Translate is highly effective with uh, Swedish. So, I mean, I have entire documents, uh, my collection that I just process through Google Translate. If I need to read a page, I just two minutes and I can read it. Well, I mean, I, yeah, and you'll get I mean, as time goes on, man, you're going to become like an expert in that stuff. I swear. Well, see, here here is the problem, though. Um, the quote unquote experts within the community on this stuff who aren't Scandi collectors, but might be a helmet collector. Uh, the, the amount of disinformation about Swedish military in particular and Danish also those are the two big problems is out it's it's billion times bigger than anything I can defend against I mean um there's so much misinformation because people will make up like in the 70s for example the designation of these helmets here I'll pull this guy the M21, uh, there is a, it's often referred to as the M2116 if it's low, which is people automatically assume, uh, oh, it was developed in 1916. The problem is that's completely made up, probably by a collector trying to act smarter than he actually was. And that's the sort of stuff I have to deal with because everywhere you go, you're going to see somebody say, it's an M2116. It's actually called an M21 low. Um, kind of unofficially low at the end, but that was just what they tended to call it as a soldier. Um, the M21 is the actual year it was developed. Well, developed. It was for the 1921 helmet trials. And if somebody, if most people spent time researching, you know, with Google Translate, they might find out, hey, the information in English might be inaccurate. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's it's small little details like that that make a trillion problems for me because I, you know. I, you'll go up to a helmet collector who who you're, has an extravagant example of an M21, right? And uh, you, you start talking with them, but all they say is complete, terrible information. It, none of it's accurate. And you'll try and tell them, and a lot of time they just you'll tell them, and they won't know how to take it, or they'll just say, "No, I'll keep it because it's well known." Yeah, I think it, that I think that it's funny about that is that it's like fud lore for guns, where you know it's yeah some, something that happened in the fifties. They're like, this is a thing, and we're just going to go with it, and it's totally accurate, but it's not. We don't really have a name for it, but yeah, I mean, I guess Farb, but Farb is uh, Farb is that's more, in reference. That's more in reference to physical problems, yeah, not. like reenactor issued stuff. So we don't really have a name for like fud lore in the collector community. But you know what's funny though. You're talking about this and stuff, and I'm thinking about it. There is a lot of information about American equipment that is just flat out wrong. That that people just they just old collectors, you know, first ten to second generation collectors were just like, this is what it is, and I'm going to say that's what it is, and that's what it is. And then you like find a technical report from Natick Labs, and you're like, this is that's not what close. it is. 
Yeah, it's crazy because there's stuff. There's just when I was doing uh, my little Alice video thing that I did for for a concept and stuff, and I'm like trying to condense sixty seconds of you know information down in sixty seconds and stuff. <laughs> and I'm reading all these technical reports and stuff. It's crazy how some things are not as uh, as simple as you think it would be. You know, uh, it, like in just that era and stuff where people just they just make assumptions where they're just like, oh, this is just how. Oh, yeah this happens so i'm just gonna assume and then put that information out there and it's like whoa whoa wait a minute <laughs> let's see again <laughs> i have to specify right the 1916 and 1918 are completely made up there there's no history to that if anyone did the research they would know the 1921 helmet trials was when they were developed for maybe a little bit before but no definitely not then because sweden was developing a completely different helmet but in 1916 i mean it's 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 a little information like that which causes a big problem right because these are some of the most common helmets right everyone has seen an m21 for sale but they're always referred to as the wrong thing not the right thing it's it's frustrating you know yeah i know i feel that it's just like uh the french arf uh a or whatever you know people always refer to them as polish mp5s even though they're not uh, oh yeah, and they're clearly you know they're clearly not you know mask pole. They're marked you know um, whatever I forget the French marks for it, but you know it's obvious and stuff. And every eBay seller, everyone on the internet, oh that's an MV5 from Poland. You're oh, like, uh, you know, like no, it's it's not. It's really not. But okay, I whatever. It's nothing. Nothing you could do about it because it's just you know. Oh, it, because that's just how it is, and that's yeah. that's and that's my. It's the one thing I always tell people. There's there's two kinds of research. Well, there's two kinds of people within the community. There's regurgitators and there's researchers. What's so special about both of them? Well, there's a need for both of them, and everyone's a bit of both, right? Maybe I'm forty percent and sixty. Maybe you're you're ninety and ten, right? A regurgitator is somebody who will take information they find, like they don't find themselves, but have been told, have maybe seen on a video, and they'll tell it to somebody else, right? That's important because that's how information spreads. And there's researchers. There's are people who find information. There's are people who scroll through archives. Those are people who buy a booklet. Yeah, the mm -hmm. booklet might be well documented, right? But it's still a piece of research, right? Because you're now looking at it. That's a researcher. I find a great problem, especially within the Scandinavian community and outside of it, people who buy things from, you know, Swedish helmets, for example, almost everyone seems to be a regurgitator except for the respective members of the community who are researchers. I feel like that's in every community and it feels like the entire military community has ended up becoming more regurgitators than researchers, even to the point that I'm pretty sure that's why Waraboos exist. I mean... They're people who rely so much on a game of telephone, right? Eventually that game becomes, you know, this guy did this. Eventually it says this guy didn't do that. Yeah. Because you have that whole leeway. And that's, I think, what happened with the M21, actually. That's fair. And clean Fairmac is a myth. So uh, <laughs> I just, I just, every time someone brings that up, they're like, ah, the Fairmac. Like, uh, no, no, no. That's not, that's not how that Rommel works. Rommel didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, 
No, and, and I to- you know, it's funny. I totally agree with you. I think that, yeah, there's definitely, you know, and, and you're right. It's not like it's you're only this or that. You're kind of a percentage. I mean, I think of uh, I, Ian from Forgotten Weapons where he's oh, that absolutely. he's like that perfect mix because he does the research, but he's also kind of taking information from other people and presenting it in a way, you know, he's that that dual, you know. Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm about 55, 45, right? I, I have... I do a little bit more regurgitating, but I also do my fair share of research. That's ultimately where you want to be is in that comfortable, almost mixed level. Uh, not everyone wants, let's see, the problem is and we, now we can get into this portion, the military community, um, which is something we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Warning um, to people, this is going to be maybe controversial to some people, but I think, uh, <laughs> viewer discretion it... is advised. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of, problems within the military community and one of the biggest problems is that comp competitive nature of it um and now it i'm gonna bring up an example right it's okay to be competitive and like aha i got a general's uniform you don't right because that's a playful thing depending on who you're with obviously there is a right and a wrong way to do that of course yeah um but you know that's kind of the fun of collecting is sometimes you can have your fun with you know saying i got this rare uniform and you got that one but ultimately the problem is and this is where i was going to say you get people who just treat the community like some sort of competition like oh my community is better than yours and yet a lot of those people they themselves treat it more like a sport than something that is history i mean the, the best way, I put it on my story a while back. I, I, I was really ticked off because uh, some people I'll get into. I won't name anyone, obviously. But I, I put a rant on my Instagram story and it it blew up. I mean, I, I've never gotten that many responses on a story. And most of it was positive. I got some negative. But it was talking about my distaste towards people who fight the competitive nature of the community, their only purpose in the community. Um, I'm actually going to pull it up on my phone as to give a nice good, example, uh, example yeah. of it. But in the meanwhile, you can uh, talk about w- what you want to segue into with this if you want. Well, I mean, I think I think you're you're onto something with this, and it's something that me and Bailey have discussed prior. It's the idea of like clout chasing, and it's fine to be like, "Hey, I have cool cool item that I want to show off," and be like, "Yeah, you know." But then That's the nature of the community. I mean, it, yeah. But then you go. There's that that line where you cross over into. I'm just trying to be better than everyone else. I'm a better absolutely. than you, and that's just it. And it's just like that's that's a problem. That's a serious problem. And I think the bigger issue is that a lot of people in the community tend to be on the younger side. Now, oh, that's that's such a big problem. It, yeah, it's not because they're young, but it's because there's a different in culture between. It, Older collectors and younger. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's maturity a little bit and stuff. I mean, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Mature, but I'm 28, so I'm a little bit on the older side. And, you know, I, I did my service and stuff, so I, I'm a little bit more, uh, I don't really, yeah, yeah, exactly. Grounded. I don't really care. If you have something cool, awesome. I want to see it. I don't really yeah. care if you think you're cooler than me because I, I just, I, you know, I don't well, know. I'm an adult. That, I'm living in my house, you know, like it's just. You're, you're living your life. Exactly. And that was. The community has seemed to treat it less like history, preservation, and care, and 
you know, we're here to preserve stuff like this, right? And more as, wow, look, German helmet number 4,585. Look at this. This one has nice decals. I'm cooler than you because my decals are are this. You know, it's, and then you'll get that. This is what I really wanted to say. Are the people who just absolutely rip apart other communities because the personal problems and again we're all guilty of it i that's Mm -hmm. what i said on my thing right we all hate our certain communities within the community but they're we're referring to the people who just it's a sport to them right it's all negativity yeah i'm gonna bring up the third right community which was my huge problem for this rant because it goes (laughs) i i've this is what I refer to as the EU Sweden thing, because mm. again, I'm not somebody who particularly cares if you like my stuff or not, right? I mean, it, it's history. I love preserving it. I love teaching it, right? That's that's what I like to do. Do you like my M39? No. Okay, that's that's your taste. That's what you enjoy, right? But then you'll get the people who say, "Ew, Swedish stuff, so boring. Why would you collect that?" Like. Oh, it's garbage anyway, because it's so common and it's not worth... But this one pissed me off. That's what caused the rant. Uh, it's not worth much anyway, so therefore it's not, like, you know, worth keeping. Like, it's the monetary thing that pissed me off. Because especially within the Third Light community, a lot of people will pay ridiculous oh, amounts yeah. for stuff. That means absolutely nothing in the historical scale of what that price is. I mean... The one thing I always teach people is there's a difference between historical value and monetary value. Those do not combine. You can pay. I barely paid anything for the general's uniform behind me, and yet it's still monumentally historically important. Meanwhile, I paid a lot for that tricorner, right? And that's less historical important comparison. And that's the problem, right? Because you get a lot of third right collectors will try and compare uh, my German tunic fought in Stalingrad. No, it probably sat in a warehouse, but it fought in Stalingrad. Yeah, probably. And uh, your Swedish tunic, well, it's Swedish, and Sweden didn't do anything, so your Sweden boring. It's that competitive nature of it. It's just so toxic. Because, like, guys, we're we're all here to, to preserve and love history. Like, my passion yep. is this. Yep. Like, I... I, I'm sorry, I don't really, it's not a competitive thing. Like, I get it, it's human nature to be competitive, but, like, well, I, you're I, not I, better. The thing I would say, too, is is if you're, if you're like, mad at you for collecting, if they're mad at you for collecting Sweden, right, Swedish mi- yeah. militaria, uh, that means you're not collecting Third Reich stuff, which means that you're one less person to compete against them. They should be happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I like, don't want to buy your Stahlhelms. Exactly. You're one less person competing in the market. I, I got to specify here. I got to clarify this. I have nothing against a lot of third like collectors, right? Of course, yeah. It, 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 there, I've met plenty. I have friends who do it. I have problems, though, with the community and how many people in it are the problem. And that's why I'm bringing up this example, because this it happens in the Soviet, how it happens in the Swedish community, right? It happens yeah. in the American community. But my particular experiences happens mostly with third right collectors. And again, we're we're now let's move on from the monetary thing and let's talk about the the ethical part. 
the most common problem and most common thing I see are people who convert M3958 tunics, again, the cheap surplus tunics you can buy at any store, into Wormoth uniforms. Like, and often their excuse will be, uh, it's garbage, right? Because it's cheap, it's surplus, it's not worth anything, you know? Yeah, of course. And yet, that that is the most common problem I encounter Swedish military is the fact that so many people will just look at it monetarily rather than, wow, that's actually a piece of history. Maybe I shouldn't shred it apart or shoot the helmet. I had a guy the other the other week, he was asking me, like he DM'd me, where I could get, uh, you know, an M37 Mod 3, the Cold War Swedish helmet, cheap, because they're notoriously cheap helmets, and they're common. And I asked him, hey, why do you want it? And I was being really kind, and I was really excited to help the guy, because I like helping people. That's that's one of my favorite things to do. And then one other guy DM me saying, yeah, he's going to shoot me. He's going to shoot it. And I, I felt, I've never felt so offended in my life, because I'm somebody who personally believes that in preservation of history, even if it's common, I'm also somebody who believes just because you don't like it doesn't make it garbage so you just can't get to the, you don't get to destroy it because you don't like it yeah it's fair and you know it's funny i i highlight this so people who could collect american military can understand you know a good example of this is either alice rucks or sealed m9 uh gas masks and tins where people are like well there's a million of these m9s and tins i should just open mine even though there's a million that are probably unopened that are opened that you can just get that are in perfect condition and there's only a finite number of these tins. They're eventually going to not exist. That is always my primary point. The, oh, just one more. Just one more. Like, think of it like a drug, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, just one more. It won't hurt me. It won't hurt me. Eventually, that million will turn to five. Yeah, like, and then they're worth something. <laughs> like, here's the thing I always bring to third, uh, third light collectors who bring up the M3958 conversion thing. Why is there so little stall helms compared to the post-war market? Wow, it's almost like people shot them because they were common, or they would melt them down into bowls because they're so common. Yeah, like, true. They're still common, right? But there's less of them than there was in the post-war. Why is that? Because they got destroyed by that mentality. That mentality only works temporarily. Eventually, it will run out, and then that yeah. once $10 helmet is now worth $100. Another good example, Mosin Nagants. Everyone used to be like, oh. oh, it's a garbage rod. It's a garbage rod. You know, it's, a, it's $80, $80. I remember they used to be $80 in magazines and stuff. And now what are they worth? Four, five, six hundred bucks? I mean. And you still get people who say, oh, they're so common. You can, like. I mean, the there's, there is a lot of them, but there eventually oh. won't be a lot of them. Again, I agree. Like, yeah, they will always be common. I don't think they're ever going to be uncommon, but there will be less of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean. It like, the Mosin is a great example, actually, because that is an item, they, dear God, they used to be more common than anything else in the world, right? But nowadays, you're paying extreme price, and a lot of people will say, oh, it's boomer pricing, right? Like, they're trying to say, oh, I wasn't bad because I stripped it apart, right? Yeah. In reality, it's because people keep buying them and they have little regard for their duty as a collector to preserve and protect items. And as a result, they'll destroy it. And now that screws over future collectors. 
Of course. And uh, they used to, you know, you, you, I don't think people realize, like, Mosins used to come in crates, crates upon crates upon crates. They used to import those by the thousands. They're not coming in as often as they were at one point. So, you know. It, it's, it, it's, it's ridiculous that the mentality just continues. Like, you see people still use the mentality, oh, they're so common and still. But they're not. That they're that they're they're slowly trickling out, right? I'm going to bring up an example I very much get frustrated by. And look, I I, I admit here now I'm not the biggest Stallham fan, right? But I, I like certain countries, right? And they're going to bring up the Finnish M55 Stallham, right? These are post-war. A lot of there's an M4055, and those were those were. Finland bought up a lot of M40 Stahlhelms and converted them into their own. And IMA, who I've uh, ha always had a big problem with, um, bought about, I think there's something like 20 pallets unopened from a warehouse of them. And they have been flooding the market for years. I mean, they're the most common Stahlhelm variant. And not every single one of them is converted. This is an M55, which this was a made from scratch. But third right again, we're going to bring them up. The third light collectors uh, have notoriously bought them up, and they're even marketed on IMA as German helmet World War II because reenactors will buy them, strip them of their paint, and then turn them into you know Wehrmacht or SS helmets. So you're you've now just destroyed a helmet because you didn't like what it was, so you made it what you wanted. Doesn't that sound a bit selfish? Now you're making you know, me want to go out and buy one just before they start getting. <laughs> so he, that's exactly my mentality, and that's why I have this. Yeah, I did not want one, but my friend was talking to me about the problem with these coming. Again, they're not rare, but they're coming scarcer. They're lesser and lesser because they're not being imported. And so I went out. I bought one, sixty bucks. It wasn't too bad, right? But now I can at least feel that I at least own one piece of that history that's preserved within my collection. That's why yeah. I'm here. That's yeah. why I have all this. Yeah, I like all of it. But I also really like this, too. I've come to really like this helmet. Not going to lie, it looks like a sick helmet. <laughs> the he it's just a regular stall helm, right? But when yeah. you get the cover on it, yeah, it's, yeah. A re it's a reversible cover. And like that's what makes it special. When you paint it in an SS paint, it's no longer finished. You've overwritten the history to make it what you want, not what it was. And it's also not itself, fair to the Finns. It's incredibly selfish. It, yeah. It's, 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 um, it only works for so long. And it, it, it's, uh, I'm going to pull up on my Instagram right now. I actually have something in one of my rants, I believe. There's the moral duty of all collectors, uh, to preserve history, not destroy it. It's selfish to destroy an item you, that you might not like. We must preserve history, not alter it. Um, Look, if you don't like your post-war M1, right? Sell it. Yeah. Like, don't don't convert like, it. I'm sorry, but like, you don't need to strip off the paint with the decals, and you don't need to rip out the liner and all that stuff just because you wanted that. No, go buy one. Come on. You know. Well, and I I think that's you know going back to the competitive nature that you were speaking of earlier, I think that's part of the problem is that, you know, if you don't say you have uh, a Vietnam impression and you use a 77 liner or something like that. Right. And someone, someone, somehow someone knows you use a 77 liner. They're like, well, it's not 
period accurate because you're using a 77 liner not that there's really a difference between 60s and <laughs> 70s liners moment. yeah and exactly and, it, and there's a reason why i you know i've run into this with me doing some of my impressions bailey's run into this i've talked to him extensively about it where it, like it will be the smallest detail and someone will be like that's wrong or you know this wasn't done this way or that or this or you know and it's just like oh man you know it like it, you gotta chill a little bit I'm going to bet a single one of the followers here will not notice a single problem with what I'm wearing. And I'll point it out now that my rank says captain. I'm not wearing a captain. Right. Oh God. But think about right in a normal community, right? You'll get competitive communities like the Vietnam where anyone will notice that. But you get a smaller community full of people who just care about the history and don't actually care that much about subtle little details that make no difference. Right. No one's going to care. Right. I'm having my fun. I'm representing the history. Is it a thousand percent correct? No. Right? And it is, you're right. It's that competitive nature. And uh, that's another part, right? While other communities are shredding each other for being other communities, uh, community, of uh, one community will be shredding itself. I mean, yep. that's, you could bring up the Vietnam community, which I'm sure you've brought up a fair amount, right? There's yeah, it, it, some internal conflicts in itself because people will yeah. turn against one another. It's, it's, I'm not going to lie. There's, I've slowed down on wanting to do impressions and doing kits because I just, I don't have, I honestly don't have the time to, to perfect a kit. You know? Here's my thing, right? Preserving history is important. Do it right. However, don't stress yourself out to get everything right. For example, my M39 display there has a post war gas mask bag on a World War II display. What is the difference? It has gray on the bottom of the bag, not brown. Wow. Am I going to am I going to spend 70 bucks and import one from Sweden to get it right? No. Because it is the same bag, just a different color. Is that yeah. going to change anyone's perspective? No. And I feel the state of the military community is at its worst. At the same time, it's at its peak, right? Mm-hmm. because you get the most amount of collectors now, but at the same time, you get these younger collectors who come in here and they're being exposed to all this toxicity. So what are they themselves going to start spewing toxicity? It's that circle effect. Yeah. You, you, you're yeah. just, it's going back around. They learn, so it, you know, you, they're, they're getting the bullying down. So then they go, they bully down below them and it just keeps going. And again, I, I, for me, it, you know, I, I, I started Surplus Geek originally just to try to be a positive thing, although I've been slow at getting this rolling, but to be something <laughs> positive, yeah, to be something positive and, you know, just for, you know, information and in history and, you know, and I, and not that I did anything when I served. I was just National Guard. I didn't deploy or anything, but there's there's something that, like, yeah, I think... There's a fun to it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I do have an... Ex- uh, uh, experience in peeing you know i was infantry so i have experience a little bit in this stuff and i can tell you that like everyone will be like oh you gotta do it exactly this way or that and i'm like nah it's not how it works in the military like there's some sop but we wouldn't you know some things was just like all right you know you do it the way you want to do it get it done so the way i always teach swedish collectors is anything could have happened at any point because i can find a i have Thousands of photos in my archive online that I find everywhere. I have a photo for almost every situation, like a common situation would think. For example, oh, they would never wear their webbing like that. And I have a photo of them doing exactly the thing they said they couldn't happen, right? 
and especially because they're conscripts in Sweden, right? They're known to screw stuff up. I mean, that's the fun of being a conscript. But like, that's the thing. To, again, a common thing in the Third Reich community is, oh, your ha- their hair would have never been like that. I'm sure people had beards in the German military. I mean, you know, it's subtle details like that, right? Is like, oh, the handbook said that wouldn't have happened. Okay. Yes. The old okay. <laughs> the old doctrine technique where people will be like, well, doctrinally, this is how things were done. And I'm like, I could tell you something, especially with the Americans. We are the classic users of not using the doctrine. We like to just throw it out the book out the window and go, all right, we're going to do this, you know, like we're going to MacGyver this and just figure it oh. out on the way. So, I mean, I'm born and raised in America, right? I live here, right? No one follows the rules 100% here. No. I mean... When you're, driving on the, when, you're, when you're driving on the road that says 25, you're going uh, 29. I mean, that that was, you know, it's kind of a thing. And, like, again, the, the thing is, right, there might be some things that might not be accurate. For example, right, if I put, I don't know, uh, an M3958 tunic, we're going to bring it up because I keep bringing it up, and uh, Stahlhelm together, right? That wouldn't have happened, you know. But like, if you say, "Oh, this," you know, I'm gonna put like M3958 with like an M21 helmet. That's accurate. You know, it's subtle details like that. And now the question is: Is that in a handbook? Absolutely not. There's zero handbooks that show it. But I have photos to show it, and I have experience to show that because I have no, I know, met people who have been in service with said things. So. Yeah, and handbooks are not uh, – from someone who's had to fill out uh, – I forget what they're called with the form. But there's a form you have to fill out when you, you do, like, uh, basic maintenance on, a, on an anything. Anything from a gas mask, your rifle, to night vision. I, I can't think of the form name. But when you fill it out, you got to use a TM, uh, training yeah. manual, technical manual, to do it and stuff. I can tell you that not everything's in those manuals. Uh, a good example is Alice. Alice Webbing. There's an Alice training pack. came out in 78. Um, I because that one – yeah, it's well, no, like it, it's 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 a training pack because they were like, oh, guys in the field don't always need their rucks. So yeah. what we had, they had a, you know, they had the M nineteen sixty one butt pack with the fifty six web gear, and then it gets weird in nineteen sixty seven. I'm not even going to bring it up because it gets very very strange. It's not nineteen sixty seven gear is very weird, especially because there's army and then the U S Marine Corps, and it goes in a separate path. But oh yeah, they always have their differences. The training butt pack is is not doesn't show up anywhere it doesn't show up in the manuals it's not there's a 1978 um i forget the the name of the uh, clothing and equipment manual or whatever it's called and it's not in there and it's one of those items that continued into i mean even we even have a we have a butt pack with molly but i don't it's not anywhere close to what the old butt packs were like it's i i I hate it personally i don't like the molly 2 butt pack but with fanny, it's more of a fanny pack. I used to just stick it on my ruck and use it as like a an auxiliary pack, but like it's not, it doesn't show up. So it, when people are like, "Oh, well, doctrinally, well, doctrinally, the training butt pack doesn't show up," and and doctrinally, the name of it is training butt pack, but you'll see you'll see guys wearing it in right. Desert Storm. So I mean, uh, guys, guys just make things up as they go along. It's just I mean, how it is. And also, you're a soldier. Do you really care what some guy in an office halfway across the world? At that point, it's wrote in a book like exactly. Years ago. Yeah, like, <laughs> you got a job gotta, to do. You're just gonna get the job done. 
I'm going to bring up Swedish handbooks, which there is a handbook for everything. Why? Because everyone's a conscript, and so now everything needs to be written down so people understand. Um, love you, yeah. conscripts. But um, we're going to bring up uh, Soldier's Handbook uh, 1 and 2 from 1973. The uniforms in those are so neatly done. It's, it's terrifying, right? Because it's what it would have looked like. In reality, no one had a neat-looking uniform. Everyone's raincoat was off. There is no matching straps. There's even a photo I have somewhere of two guys have different webbing pouches. I mean, <laughs> I, you're going to bring up another thing, too. I, I, I'm going to bring up bayonets is a big thing within the Cold War Swedish community. What the story is of the AK-4, the G3 Sweden used bayonet. I have one on my kit. Technically speaking, although it's shown in the handbook in 1973, it didn't actually exist quite yet at that point. Um, obviously, they've been produced, right? But there's some problem with manufacturing, and they weren't actually really issued out. In fact, I believe they were only really issued out for public uh, ceremonies or for riots. And even huh. then, the, uh, or ceremonies. And even then, uh, it wasn't until like the 80s that some regiments received them. But even then, like you see all the handbooks or, or like professional photos from the field always have bayonet. In reality, most people didn't receive a bayonet. Fair. It's subtle details like that that cause a big difference. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And uh, I mean, there's good examples of that everywhere and stuff. I was just thinking in my head, like. A bunch of different examples, but <laughs> the minute you said it, my brain, my brain was like, "Ooh, uh, this, 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 and this." But the handbooks are wonderful for getting basic information, but you have to do your own research. You can't just rely from a primary source. That's why there's primary and secondary because exactly. both offer something. What I always tell people is, you should always have five pieces of evidence to back your statement or back your kit, right? Um, for example, if you're making your kit off of one photo, that might not be the best thing now, depending on what you're trying to represent, right? Of course, yeah. If, if you're trying to represent like mid Vietnam in this certain city, right? Maybe a one photo would do, but if you're trying to say 1976 soldier of this country, right? You should have five photos and you should look at differences between them and try and make it because when you cross cross those together you might get one accurate uniform because not everything's perfectly well written out you know sometimes yeah. you gotta do a little digging to get where you need heck even if you're doing 2016 u.s army like if you're doing our army reserve have... national guard it could be different all three of those so i can imagine so you know i mean we still we got our issued our ocps and we still were using you know ucp camoed uh, gear so we had this weird hodgepodge our helmet covers were still ucp it didn't look it's good so but, if somebody looked at a handbook, they probably would only see what was exactly quote unquote, issued instead of what was actually issued. Exactly. So, you know, and, and that's something that I, th and not only that, uh, uniform wise with the OCPs, up until a certain point, you're allowed to wear the old t shirts, the tan t shirts versus the Coyote Brown. You could use your tan boots and the tan belts. So, like, there was this hodgepodge of time where, you know, and we still, my unit probably still has, I, I mean, my, I'm guessing at this point, but my unit probably still has UCP camouflage gear. They no, probably they might have, have M81 somewhere. Oh, no, we did. We had, uh, we had really old IBAs from the, you know, from the early 2000s sitting in our, in the, they're nasty too. They smelt so bad. We didn't use them, but we had them. We also had Alice radio packs sitting in our, uh, in our garage. So, 
just in a bin. I always I asked too. I was like, uh, what are you going to happen to this stuff? Can I uh, take something like that? Can no. I take it? No. Yeah. I have, so, a, <laughs> I have a few friends in the Swedish military and one of the, I asked one of them, can you confirm again? We're bringing it up. This is like the fifth time. Is there any M3958s within uh, the warehouses still, even though they're taken out in 2007? You know, these uniforms made in World War II and a little bit after, which are converted for the Cold War used in the cold war turns out they still do they haven't been used since 2007 and they went weren't even used even then and they're somehow still in warehouses i mean I, that makes sense yeah. world war ii era uniform in your warehouse i mean hey if, if it, world war three breaks out at least you got the cozy wool uniform how was to say if it, if it works it, and it's still i mean we have i mean we have the desert you know out in the desert here where we have all our old tanks and stuff i mean there's there's some crazy number of aircraft and tanks sitting out in the desert right now just oh, sitting yeah. there um that's another thing i should bring up uniforms don't technically go obsolete i mean obviously there is a point <laughs> yeah obviously there is a point when the it gets a bit unusual right you wouldn't want to go to war in that i mean but like a lot of the things with the m59 uniform here um people bring up as well it looks like shit uh so Sorry. Um, a lot of people will say that and like, yeah, it might not look the best, but it was actually a really well performing uniform. In fact, it was one of the best performing uniforms of, of the Swedish military at that point because it was simple and it worked. And ultimately the back pockets on the M39 and 58, the M58 and the M59, which are all the whole series were incredibly useful because it utilized the space that isn't used on your entire uniform, the back. And it's stuff like that, right? But people will see and look, oh, it looks garbage, and yet they won't understand there's a reason why it was used because it didn't technically go bad. It's it's It worked. I mean, it utilized space well. It was... You know, there's a saying, if it looks stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, if M81 were... M81 would still work now. I mean, no one yeah. would deny. Like, I mean, and, and and that's the thing too with with yeah with uniforms. Obviously, things change, things get updated. You know, new materials come out and stuff. But that doesn't mean that whatever old p again, it's like Alice gear. Alice gear is still completely legit oh, now, oh. as you know, as as anything else. It's just we oh, went to something new. I'm, I'm haunted by my Alice gear, though. But um. <laughs> No, you're you're right though. Like nothing truly. Well, equipment goes obsolete, right? Because I would not want to go to war with my M thirty one thirty six gas mask. Okay, but, fair enough. Yeah, that's true. But like, like you know, I some things masks, though masks, won't go. Masks go bad, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, uniforms technically don't because it's a piece of cloth. Like, yeah, there there is a realistic factor to it, and also bear in mind uniforms are fashion and uniforms change of time to the fashion of the world, right? That's why we're not wearing uh, Ike uniforms anymore. We're wearing whatever the service dress now. Oh, it's back. Uh, no, is it's oh back yeah, again? they brought back the. Ike, I'm pretty sure they brought back the Ike jacket for the new. The uh, new I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> uh, the new like the, the, the new pinks and greens are like, and I'm I'm jealous that I got out when those came in. I'm I'm a little mad actually, because <laughs> we brought back the old like World War II style dress uniform. Uh, you know that sounds pretty cool though. I gotta yeah. check that out. Yeah, it's um, it's sweet. But like, still like, um, you know, it, it's like 
that's the thing I like to tell collectors. Just be like, again, just because it looks garbage doesn't make it garbage. You can even bring that back to our original controversial point. Just because you think it's garbage doesn't make it garbage. It it's one man's trash is another man's gold. I was gonna say it's, that. Yep. Exactly. That was embroidered for my dad. Uh, you know, back in I think 2004 by my aunt, and it says it's not junk; it's a collection. Right. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. It, it was a joke with my my dad because he was a collector of old stuff, and you know. Somebody might walk into my room and see a whole bunch of old dead people uniforms from a different era in a country that means absolutely nothing to the average American here, right? But another person might walk in here and just see the most amazing, spectacular thing they've ever seen, right? Because you're not going to see this in an average museum, right? And that's that's what the community is based upon. That's why there's several different sub communities. That's why there's, they're right. That's why they're Swedish. That's why they're American. That's why there's a French. It, it's it's weird that people somehow associate ah, I don't like it, so it's garbage. Instead of I don't like it, maybe that's not my cup of tea. Maybe I should just leave it alone and let that respective community enjoy it. Yeah, it's most common with Cold War stuff. Um, I feel it's, it's particularly common with post-war like Euro clones and stuff. I mean, oh dear God, uh, the amount of people you know. Oh, I bought this World War Two M1. No, it's a Belgian one from the post-war. Oh, it's garbage. So I, throw it out. I know, and it's it's funny you say that because I want to I want to own all the uh, the Euro clones of uh, M1s. I love Euro clones. Yeah, it's it's same same thing with the M9. The M9 was cloned so many different times that you know there's so many countries that M9 use it. Mask? So yeah. We can use the M9 mask. Exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I got to get my hands on all the clones. But I could help you with an M51 if you want. But, awesome. um, but, uh, you know, we've been going for just a little over an hour. So, as much as we can continue talk, because I think we could probably talk for another like five hours at this rate. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd love to. <laughs> but, you know, what we can always do, we can always have you come back on in a future episode. Welcome that. Because I feel like there's always more we can talk about. But, so, oh, I would, uh, I'd love to. I'm going to say, what's, end this here but uh go check graham out here at captain dreadnought on instagram so give him a follow uh, if you're not already and I, I should specify how to spell it too because it's yeah uh, it, it's spelled the swedish way k-a-p-t-e-n dreadnought yeah i mean and i'll link it below on youtube uh and i'll try to link it below on other sources as well so you can just you know it'd be easier but just so people find know me on myspace yeah exactly oh my god myspace <laughs> don't bring up memories um, I, I was, I'm old enough to have had a MySpace and use it oh quite a God. bit. Uh, I had a MySpace, but that's beyond the point. Yeah. MySpace. Ugh. But so we'll end it here. Like I said, thanks for coming on, by the way. I appreciate it. We actually had this conversation because you, your story, your rant, I saw it and I was like, wow, I agree yeah. with this. And I said, you know, I want to bring you on and we made it happen and here you are. And hopefully people enjoy this and, uh, that's pretty much it. So, uh, see everyone later. Bye. I'll see you all.